Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Hello and welcome to another Virtual Legality, and what a wild one we have this evening. For those of you who regularly follow this channel, you know that I mostly talk about businesses and contracts and the way law interacts with the way these businesses uh, function in the marketplace and in society in general. But today we had a story that I just could not ignore, uh, both because it has famous people caught up in a federal dragnet and because it involves one of my favorite pastimes, which is NCAA sports. I'm a big Michigan Wolverine fan, as pitiable in existence as that might be in the most recent seasons. Uh, and so when you have a story that kind of uh, touches on a lot of my passions, whether it's law or business, or in this case, uh, NCAA bribery, uh, it's something that I really wanted to talk about. And so I'm doing it on this, uh, this channel in Virtual Legality 34, I believe it is. Uh, and so without further ado, let's take a look at what the story is, because if your social media feed or anything like mine, it is uh, burning up the charts. Uh, Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin, among dozens charged in alleged college cheating scam. Uh, and this article that we're reading from is uh, from CNN. Uh, I like this article because they also linked to a full read-through uh, of both the affidavit, uh, the affidavit backing up the criminal complaint as well as the indictment. And so we're going to look at those actual legal documents in this video. We're going to talk a little bit about the laws uh, that are cited in terms of why the federal government is doing this, what the fraud is, who's getting defrauded, who the real victims are. And in this particular case, they're using a, a law that is uh, one of those that's discussed in law school quite often as the kind of umbrella, the, the, the blanket, the, the big bucket that the federal government can use uh, to catch uh, unwary criminals or otherwise people doing bad things. And that's RICO. Uh, which is essentially the racketeering statute that says, uh, hey, if you conspire to do bad things in an enterprise, an organization of some kind, uh, and that organization crosses state lines, which it's very easy to do uh, using email or the internet where it bounces along servers and what have you, uh, then we are able to nab you as a federal crime, uh, even though what we're talking about here are very kinds of individual activities. We're talking about bribery of proctors for exams. We're talking about sending money uh, to assistant athletic directors in order to have students and uh, children treated as athletes when they aren't actually athletes. Uh, and uh, what that means in terms of what laws are alleged to be violated, uh, what kinds of uh, fraud is being perpetrated is part of the conversation here. And it's one of the parts that I find obviously the most interesting as a lawyer. The full disclaimer on this video, of course, if you follow this channel, you already know this, is that I'm not a litigator. I'm certainly not a federal litigator, uh, but the practice of law is basically divided in two broad buckets, and there's specializations within those buckets. And those buckets are litigator, who are the folks that you know from law and order who stand up and say objection and go to court and defend or prosecute people. And there are transactional attorneys, which is what I am. And I help companies get formed and funded. I help review and draft contracts and tell people how they work and help negotiate with the, the other side in terms of trying to protect my client and get the maximal benefits that, that we can in terms of the contract language. Uh, but I don't go to court. 
And so in certain respects, while I do have that law school background, while I have read these acts before, while I have looked at constitutional precedent and criminal statutes and things of that nature, uh, to some extent, I'm also coming at it from a kind of 30,000 foot perspective, just like you might be, uh, which is to say, wow, this is interesting. This is fascinating. Uh, Certainly as the lawyer uh, in me, I immediately went and looked at the primary materials, the indictments, and that's what we're going to talk about today uh, because they are so interesting. And I always like to dive in deeper than the article itself. Uh, someone kind of translating what a legal document says, because I do think uh, getting to the primary source material is the most fun. Uh, but let's take a look at the the opening paragraphs, the kind of summary items that CNN gives us here before we look at that indictment, because that's, I think it's useful to ground us as to what we're looking at at all. Actresses Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin are among dozens of wealthy parents, elite college coaches, and college prep executives accused of carrying out a nationwide fraud to get students into prestigious colleges, according to a massive federal indictment. Federal prosecutors said Tuesday the scheme had two major pieces. In the first part, parents allegedly paid a college prep organization to take the test on behalf of students or to correct their answers. Second, the organization allegedly bribed college coaches to help admit the students into college as recruited athletes, regardless of their actual abilities, prosecutors said. The documents also allege that some defendants created fake athletic profiles for students to make them appear to be successful athletes. In all, 50 people were charged in the criminal investigation that went by the name Operation Varsity Blues. The the federal government loves its crazy operation names that are tangentially related to what they're investigating. They just love it. And part of the reason they love it is for uh, public releases like this, when you can put the operation name and it's kind of funny or kind of ironic to what they're actually investigating. You put it on CNN, you say it in your press conference, uh, and it's memorable. Uh, Those arrested included two SAT-ACT administrators, one exam proctor, nine coaches at elite schools, one college administrator, and 33 parents, according to Andrew Lenning, the U.S. attorney for Massachusetts. And I think it's useful to kind of break down what this entire scheme was, uh, why they're getting indicted, what the fraud is, because those are different groups of people. You've got the SAT, ACT administrators getting bribed. You've got an exam proctor. That's pretty much, that's pretty easy to see how one cheats by bribing an exam proctor. You've got the nine coaches at elite schools, which I found fascinating today to really break down as to what was happening here in terms of what the bribery was for, what was being accomplished. One college administrator, which sits above those coaches and is really kind of the most damning piece of evidence, the most uh, problematic person that's indicted here because they have so much control uh, at their college, in this case, the University of Southern California, and 33 parents who for the most part, while I think we can agree uh, morally have issues in terms of committing bribes to get their kids into schools, uh, if we are being uh, gentle, if we are looking at things from a silver lining perspective, these are parents that were trying to better their kids. I think misguidedly, I think we can probably agree on that, and certainly they've been arrested and otherwise indicted for crimes uh, at this point. Uh, But a parent saying, hey, if I can spend $15,000 to help get my kid into a school that's going to better their future, to me, isn't quite the same uh, moral problem as the person that's actually taking those bribes that has a contractual commitment to their school or to uh, ETS, SAT, ACT, uh, and, and are violating those promises that they have made uh, to their employers. Uh, and I think that's an interesting kind of concept to think about when we go into this. One of the things that drew me to this story is the notion of really thinking about, you know, why is this a crime? 
because a lot of the things that we think of are are bad. I think everybody reading this story and looking at this says, yeah, that's a bad thing. That's morally problematic. Uh, when you're bribing people, when you're defeating tests, when you're falsifying your background in order to gain access to something that you wouldn't otherwise have access to, that is on a moral level a bad. Um, but that in of itself doesn't necessarily make it a crime. As you go through law school or as you otherwise think about statutes and kind of research these things, you realize there are a lot of laws uh, that are on the books that you wouldn't necessarily think of as morally problematic. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of political fights to be had around various things that are prohibited uh, that may or may not be a moral problem. You might have your own opinion as to whether or not people should be allowed to gamble or not. Uh, but there are statutes on the books that prohibit it in certain ways and allow it in other ways, some of which make sense, some of which don't. But what is illegal isn't always immoral, and what is immoral isn't always illegal. So I think that's always an interesting aspect to take a look at these things and try to think about whether or not this should be a crime. I think we're going to get to the end of the day here. We're going to look at all these things, and we're going to say, yeah, this is probably a pretty legitimate use of, of the federal indictment power, although there could be you know, more effective things to, to use all those resources on. I do think this is a fairly clean indictment. So without further ado, let's take a look at that indictment now uh, because it is fascinating. So we see here United States District Court, District of Massachusetts. We have an indictment against 12 different folks. Uh, and this is the primary indictment. This is against essentially the people that were bribed, the people that were in charge of the organization that was doing the bribing. This, this isn't the parents here. They're part of the criminal complaint, which is kind of a, a different document. I'm not entirely certain exactly how those interact. They certainly were arrested and are part of this whole thing. And we're going to look at the uh, affidavit that backs up the criminal complaint just to look at some of the kind of examples that are uh, elided to here uh, in this indictment. Uh, but they aren't included here. These are the main players. And we see here uh, they are alleged to be involved in a racketeering conspiracy, which is fun to say, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything to anybody outside of the law. And to some extent within the law, it doesn't necessarily mean anything terribly specific, which is one of the reasons the federal government likes to use it in order to nail people, uh, because it does have kind of this broad applicability. So let's take a look at what the actual racketeering statute is. So we go now to the Cornell Law School, which always keeps these really uh, well-documented statutes that you can look through and, and they link the definitions that you need. It's a very good resource uh, if you're at all interested in following statutory law uh, and otherwise researching these kinds of issues. But we see here what they were brought up on is actually D, as in dog, of this statute. And it just says, it shall be unlawful for any person to conspire to violate any of the provisions of this section. Uh, and that's a kind of broad brush. Conspiring is just essentially agreeing or planning or otherwise conversing with another party uh, in order to accomplish some end. And so this basically says, hey, if you talk to anybody about potentially violating anything in this section, then you're going to be in trouble. And what this section says, this is the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. This is this is RICO. It says it shall be unlawful for any person who has received any income derived directly or indirectly from a pattern of racketeering activity, which we're going to talk about in a second, but which you can think about right now as essentially bad things. If you get any money from bad things, it will be unlawful for you to use that money or the proceeds of that money, uh, other money that you get from using that money initially, for the establishment or operation of any enterprise which is engaged in any of the activities uh, or which affect interstate or foreign commerce. And so it basically says, hey, if you make any money doing bad stuff, uh, not only did that potentially 
get you in trouble because if you did bad stuff, if you racketeered, that's going to be its own kind of thing that we can potentially uh, bring a claim against you at. The very nature of you making that illegal money and then putting it into a different operation, even if that were totally legal, um, if it if it crosses state lines, if it participates in interstate or foreign commerce, then the fact that you use these ill-gotten gains in order to fund your operation, your enterprise, is another thing we can get you on. And you can see how this broadens out and broadens out and broadens out for the federal purposes because the underlying bad act is now not necessarily touching this thing, which is you putting money into a different business. In this case, the business itself was engaged in kind of uh, the racketeering and the bribery and things of that nature. So it's probably something that could be brought up uh, specifically, although it wasn't in this particular indictment. In this uh, in this federal statute, you've got a situation where without that kernel of a bad act, uh, all this falls apart. Uh, and so instead, what they do is they indict you on, you made money from something bad, which in this case is essentially wire fraud and mail fraud, which is defrauding folks um, through the internet for the most part and, and also by phone. Uh, and you take that kernel, you say, hey, you funded an organization, and then you broaden it out one more step and say, hey, you conspired to fund an organization. You conspired to do something racketeering or, or racketeering related. And we see in B and C that they cover other kinds of uh, tangential uses of racketeering funds and other things that you can't do with an enterprise. And at the end of the day, you have this very broad, very powerful statute that allows the federal government to say, okay, uh, if you did anything bad on this long list of things, and I think now is a good time to kind of pull up uh, the notion of what racketeering activity uh, is. And we'll see in this definition, it is uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, we've got 18 USC 1961 definitions here. We're, we're not going to go over all of this because it is a true example of a great federal statute. Uh, as used in this chapter, racketeering activity means... And then it's just an entire wall of text uh, regarding any act or threat involving all of these different statutes that are bad things. Uh, what we're going to focus on here, uh, and I've highlighted them here, is essentially Section 1341 and Section 1343, which is relating to mail fraud, relating to wire fraud, uh, essentially defrauding someone of either money uh, or good faith and fair dealing, honest services, which we're going to see as a phrase they use uh, in the indictment, that you are taking away the ability of someone else to receive the honest services to which they are entitled. And in this case, when we're thinking about it, if you just imagine that you're a parent uh, and you have bribed someone to cheat for your child on the ACT, who is losing the honest services there? The answer is the ACT company because they have hired someone to proctor their exam. They have hired someone to give them honest services in the fulfillment of uh, making this exam available for all these high school students. And when somebody takes a bribe and when they coordinate it over the Internet uh, and when they take that bribe and do something that is against the interest of their employer, that employer has been defrauded. Uh, and if they've done it over the Internet, they've uh, done it through wire fraud. And if they use that money in an enterprise such as what we're going to see in this indictment, then they are probably uh, committing racketeering. And if they're conspiring with another to racketeer in this fashion, then you broaden out the entire universe of things. And so you can bring up the parents who helped this whole process and helped get this enterprise up and running uh, through the, the RICO Act. And so it is this kind of broad brush that can tag a lot of things, a lot of problems that the federal government wouldn't necessarily be able to reach 
if they had to do uh, direct actions under the specific acts. If they had to bring a wire fraud action against each individual party, it would be a more difficult thing to bring. They obviously have a lot of evidence here, but it would be more uh, difficult to bring. The other thing I wanted to raise real quickly uh, is the notion that the Racketeering Act is specifically only regarding enterprises which participate in interstate or foreign commerce. Uh, If you've been to law school, if you've studied pre-law, if you've looked at the United States Constitution, you know why that provision is in there. It's called a Commerce Clause hook, uh, and that's because the United States Congress, the legislature, is uh, supposedly uh, a body that is uh, only entitled to do specific activities under the Constitution of the United States. And so one of those activities which the United States legislature is allowed to do, and we look here at Section 8 of uh, the Constitution, Article 1, the Congress shall have power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. And that's one of their enumerated powers. And so the federal statutes uh, very often have what we call one of these Commerce Clause hooks to tie in what maybe doesn't necessarily obviously relate to a power that Congress should have the ability uh, to govern over to tie it to commerce. Uh, And so with RICO, what they're able to say is this basically applies uh, specifically to companies that cross state lines. If you were to only operate in Michigan or only operate in California and maybe didn't use the internet and maybe didn't use the United States Postal Service uh, and these kinds of things, uh, then maybe you wouldn't be able to be touched by this specific statute. But as you can probably imagine, for the most part, 99% of basically everybody doing business in 2019 can be tagged with uh, with commerce that touches other states or, or foreign bodies just because of the nature of how business is done today. So this gives uh, this act in particular tremendous power, and, it, and it's worth kind of reflecting on in terms of how they use it here. Uh, so let's go back to the indictment uh, after talking a little bit about the law, uh, and we can start to see exactly how this case uh, was brought. So we, first they allege the defendants. So this is the list of people who are involved. And we're not going to go through the names, but we're going to talk about their jobs. So the first defendant is the head coach of men's and women's tennis at Georgetown. The next defendant is the senior athletic uh, associate athletic director at the University of Southern California. This is one of the, the big names here because of the place then the position that she held at the school, this allowed her to touch a number of coaches. And that's one of the reasons you see so many University of Southern California folks in this indictment. The next person is the head coach of women's soccer at Southern California. The next is an assistant coach of women's soccer at Southern California. Uh, The next is the water polo coach at Southern California. The next is the head men's soccer coach at the University of California at Los Angeles. So USC and UCLA uh, have folks that are in on this indictment that worked for them that were supposed to be providing honest services to the school in recruiting players for their teams uh, and bettering the school uh, to whatever extent that applies to the athletic teams at UCLA and USC. Uh, the next defendant is the women's volleyball coach at Wake Forest. And then we start to get into uh, the folks that are a little bit more directly involved with some of the cheating aspects. Uh, the next is an assistant teacher at a public high school in Houston that was compensated as a standardized test administrator for the college board and ACT. So this is a, a person that administers those college entrance exams uh, as their second job or as another source of income. Uh, the next defendant is the president of a private tennis academy and camp in Houston. 
The next defendant is another compensated standardized test administrator. And then the final two defendants are folks that are directly involved in the, the enterprise, the, the, the companies that perpetrated uh, the fraud as alleged in this indictment. And this one is a accountant and financial officer for what is Edge College and Career Network and the Key Worldwide Foundation, which are the two entities which the federal government says comprise a single enterprise uh, that is involved in all of these very bad acts. Uh, and then the next one was uh, just an employee of those two uh, that they call in this indictment uh, the key uh, or the enterprise uh, or the KWF uh, as uh, as part of the uh, the part of the group here. So those two entities are essentially the, the nexus point for what the federal government wants to talk about here. And they kind of describe them as the indictment goes on. And they talk about uh, the fact that the KWF was set up as a 501c3 uh, that was tax exempt, which again adds a little bit more uh, bad things that have happened uh, and, and puts them in a bad light and also suggests that there is tax money that is owed to the IRS, uh, which will always wake up uh, the, the government because they want their money. And so it wouldn't surprise me if actually the, the nexus, the starting point of this investigation was some notions that there was a foundation out there that wasn't giving the proper tax money and was defrauding the IRS by giving uh, essentially illegal certifications and statements regarding uh, the donations that they had received, which were in fact payment for services in this uh, enterprise. And they go on to describe who the ACT is, what the SET is, which is administered by a company called Educational Testing Service, so they refer to it as ETS. They talk about Georgetown, Stanford, UCLA, University of San Diego, Southern California, all these other schools. Uh, and then they also mention that the universities annually receive more than $10,000 in federal grants. Again, just a useful little allegation there that says, hey, just, just so you know, this is stuff that is directly impacting the, the government. They're, they're taking from taxpayer money to the extent that they are operating in a nefarious way. Uh, and it's important to note when you look at this indictment and when you look at what actually happened today, none of the schools themselves were actually indicted as being direct participants in this scheme. And I could, I could see on my social media a number of folks talking about the fact that the NCAA should step in, that there should be investigations done. And I think that there will be. I think that the NCAA will certainly be taking a look at how this operated. And there are definitely going to be athletic directors who are going to be put under a microscope uh, in terms of folks wondering how this could happen on their watch or under their nose or whether it's happening in other schools through a different foundation, through a different enterprise to make these kinds of things happen. But the schools themselves uh, are actually, in this case, uh, victims of this process. Uh, and I think it's important to note that outside of their not being able to keep control of their people and not knowing what was happening under their noses, uh, if we assume that they are just absolutely angelic and good actors uh, all the way down, if you think about what happened here, kids got in uh, by defrauding their admissions office. Uh, they got in by lying to the schools and the school wouldn't have otherwise admitted them. And if you take the mission of the university to put together the, the best possible student class that it can, however it quantifies that, uh, it's clear that they wouldn't have done it exactly the same way had they had full and 100% honesty and transparency with the information they were getting from these various parents and from their kids. And so I do think it's unlikely that the schools are going to be added to this uh, unless one was directly involved 
with uh, one of the athletic directors, uh, perhaps if an athletic director himself or herself, rather than an assistant athletic director, winds up indicted, winds up being pulled into this somehow, uh, you might start to get calls for exactly what was the board of trustees doing or what was the school doing. Uh, and that's an important discussion to have. But when I look at any of these things and I think about criminal enterprises, it's important to think about what the incentives are for the various actor. We're going to be able to see here exactly why people did what they did, uh, whether or not it made sense, the enormous amounts of money that were spent. But at the end of the day, uh, there isn't a great incentive that I can see. And certainly leave a comment on this video or otherwise let me know on my social media or on my Twitter if you've got another notion. But there's no incentive that I can see for these colleges or universities to have participated in this. Uh, outside of potentially some famous students or if you're really uh, hurting for cash, just having more bodies. Uh, but these universities were essentially going to say no to these kids if they didn't make these steps. So this wasn't an instance where the universities were looking to make more money. They were going to make less uh, or they were going to make money from a different person uh, that was going to be involved in the university. So it's very difficult for me to see exactly why they would be incentivized to participate in something like this. And I suspect at an institutional level, uh, they weren't. Uh, so this indictment, going back to the documentation here, uh, talks about exactly how ACTs work, how SATs work. Uh, if you have been to college in the United States, you, you probably know most of this. But basically, they talk about the fact that kids take them in high school and they're proctored over the weekend in, in general. Uh, and they get scores and those scores are used as part of a matrix for determining whether they can get admitted to a school. Uh, the indictment then finally gets to the purposes of the racketeering conspiracy. The principal purposes of the racketeering conspiracy included the following, to facilitate cheating on college entrance exams, to facilitate the admission of students to elite universities as recruited athletes, regardless of their athletic abilities, and to enrich the defendants and Singer. Singer is the founding member of this enterprise, the key group. Um, and what we'll see when we look at the uh, affidavit backing up the criminal allegations, he is actually the uh, cooperating witness number one. He is the guy that they essentially got to flip by agreeing to plead guilty to a bunch of this stuff and that told them about this entire uh, set of events and client base and helped them record conversations. And that's one of the reasons this got as big as it did is they essentially got the head of the group to flip on all of his customers uh, with the exception of there is a note in the affidavit, we'll get to it in a second, that says uh, he, when he initially agreed to help work with the federal government, he told a bunch of people about the investigation. So he got an obstruction of justice uh, claim tagged onto his uh, pleadings, which he has also agreed to plead to. Uh, but that's got to be an interesting story. That's one of those where you can't quite tease it out of the indictment papers, but it is interesting. So his first step was to uh, be a little bit shady. Uh, and then finally he said, yeah, all right, I'll help you entirely. And that's how we got this indictment. Uh, manner and means of the racketeering conspiracy. Among the manner and means by which the defendants, singer, and others known and unknown to the grand jury carried out the racketeering conspiracy were the following. Facilitating cheating on the ACT and SAT exams in exchange for bribes by arranging for or allowing a third party to secretly take the exams in place of the actual students or to replace the student's exam responses with his own. Designating applicants as purported recruits for competitive college athletic teams without regard for the applicant's athletic abilities in exchange for bribes 
and concealing the nature and source of the bribe payments by funneling payments through the KWF charitable accounts. KWF is the 501c3. Uh, they go on to say on various dates between 2011 and February 2019, the defendants and others known and unknown of the grand jury committed or caused to be committed the following acts, among others, in furtherance of the racketeering conspiracy. Singer agreed with clients whose children were scheduled to take the SAT or ACT exams as part of the college admissions process to have Riddell, his employee, either take the tests in their children's place or correct the children's answers after they had completed the tests. Parents generally paid Singer between $15,000 and $75,000 per test, typically structuring the payments as purported donations to KWF that they wired or deposited into one of the KWF charitable accounts. That's a lot of money, folks. Uh, you know, you can buy a heck of a lot of tutoring, a heck of a lot of hours uh, for this kind of money. Uh, and it's not quite endowment money. It's not quite buy a wing or buy a chair and get into the college that way money, although we're going to talk about those kinds of amounts a little later on in this indictment. But it does kind of beg the question or pose the question is more accurate of why weren't these folks spending the money in a more productive and legal capacity? When you talk about really rich folks in general, there are a number of legal ways to kind of uh, grease the wheels to smooth the process of getting the, the child into a school of their choosing or of the parents choosing. Uh, and in this case, uh, bribing ACT officials to fake test scores sounds like a very bad idea to me. Uh, you know, you get into USC or Michigan or wherever, uh, and you don't quite have the academic chops to make it in class, that's going to be outed pretty quickly. Uh, and so I don't know that that's the most productive way to spend $75,000, regardless of whether you're indicted on a federal conspiracy charge or not. Uh, and it's it's kind of that aspect of this story that I think has caught people's interest is you see these numbers and you see the famous people that got dragged into this. We talked about it when we looked at the CNN article, Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman. Uh, and you wonder how this could possibly happen because there are better ways to spend this money. There are tutors that are legitimate that can presumably get the SAT or ACT score up into the realm of reason for one of these things. And I think most universities uh, would be interested in having the, the progeny of somebody famous like uh, those actresses at their school. Um, but that just goes to show you that it takes all kinds and there are these kinds of things happening uh, all around you, whether they make sense or not. Uh, to some extent, one of the things I, uh, I say is it really is the kind of dumber criminals, the more obvious criminals that get caught in things like this. Uh, but I strongly suspect that this was just a case of a, a different investigation kind of uh, coming up with some of this stuff happening uh, under folks' noses and a 501c3 that was defrauding the IRS. And that's always going to raise eyebrows. That's always going to raise alarm bells. Uh, at the federal government level, because uh, uh, that's the important function of the IRS is to, to collect that revenue that it's owed. And uh, certainly there has been a emphasis on catching uh, 501c3s or, or things that purport to be 501c3s uh, that aren't really fulfilling a charitable function and bringing them in uh, on charges like these. Uh, to facilitate the cheating, Singer counseled parents to seek extended time on the exams, including by having their children purport to have learning disabilities in order to obtain medical documentation that ACT Inc. and the College Board typically required before granting students extended time. Singer then used the purported charitable donations from parents, at least in part, to bribe folks who administered the tests. Uh, at Singer's dire direction, bribes were paid uh, to the charitable accounts, etc., etc. You get this from the kind of cheating capacity. Bribes were paid 
to this gentleman. He helped facilitate cheating on the tests. This included folks that took the tests for these kids. This included folks that essentially coached the kids in a one-on-one environment while the test was being quote-unquote proctored in order to increase their scores and get into the university they're choosing. This all makes sense on a pretty clear basis. We understand how cheating on a test works. Anybody that's been in school has either seen someone or perhaps perpetrated a a bit of uh, malfeasance of their own while going through the testing process. Uh, And so we understand that. The more interesting part, the part that jumped out at me as a college football fan, as a college basketball fan, was what in the world were they doing with the student-athlete thing? Uh, And that's what came out a little bit later on in the indictment. Parents paid Singer approximately $25 million, $25 million, over the period 2011 through February 2019 to bribe coaches and university administrators to designate their children as recruited athletes or other favored admissions categories in violation of the duty of honest services the coaches and administrators owed to their employers, thereby facilitating the children's admission to the universities. In some instances, Sanford and Janke helped fabricate athletic profiles and other documents to bolster the students' college applications by making them appear to be highly successful high school athletes when in fact they were not. We're not going to have time on this video to go over the entire affidavit that backs up the criminal complaint, but there are certain instances which I highly recommend you check out. I'm going to link them here in the description to the video. There are photos and photoshops of people that barely look like they are participating in whatever the sport they're doing, whether it's water polo or otherwise, that the indictment includes as essentially evidence of some of this uh, fakery that was going on in order to convince the schools uh, that they were uh, athletes. Uh, And so... There is a lot there that is fascinating. Obviously, you don't like anybody getting bribed. You don't like all this people being defrauded and all this money being spent. Uh, But as far as these things go, uh, since there isn't any violence, since there isn't anyone dead in the streets, it is something that can be humorous and amusing to actually go through and look and see what kind of things people were getting away with, what kind of shady dealings were happening, and what the schools were allowing through uh, and being convinced on because they had... uh, full confidence or faith in whoever it was that was getting bribed. Uh, it's, it's always interesting to look at organizations that way and realize how much does depend on trust, even if you've got lawyers involved, even if you've got contracts in place. They go on through a number of examples uh, that they call out for Yale and USC uh, and uh, various other kinds of descriptions of what happened, which we're going to look at a bit in the affidavit that's backing up the criminal complaint. So I don't want to go into it here. I just wanted to get to uh, the counts uh, we see here. This is the official count. Grand jury realleges and incorporates by reference everything else that's in this indictment names the defendants and says these people associated with the key enterprise, an enterprise engaged in and the activities of which affected interstate and foreign commerce. Remember, we just looked at the statute, so you have to recite these things in the indictment. This is something that meets the requirements of the statute that we are charging them with. Conspired with others, known and unknown to the grand jury, to violate Title 18 United States Code Section 1962C, that is to conduct and participate directly and indirectly in the conduct of the affairs of the enterprise through a pattern of racketeering activity. As defined in Title 18, United States Code Sections 1961-1 and 5, consisting of multiple acts indictable as mail fraud, honest services mail fraud, wire fraud, honest services wire fraud, and the laundering of monetary instruments. And then the second part is, hey, if we win that, if they are charged and we get that 
uh, convicted in terms of racketeering, then they also, under that statute, owe us their stuff back. And so we make a list of the money that they we can directly attribute to their racketeering activity, the assets we can directly attribute to their racketeering activity, and we charge that if they get convicted of racketeering, they owe all this money back, all these assets back. Uh, and if we can't get them, we'll use the statute to say, okay, if that's gone, if whatever asset we're talking about is gone, we can go and get other assets of equal value we, to be made whole. Uh, and that's, that's the whole indictment. They say, these people cheated. They participated in racketeering. They owe us this money back. They defrauded uh, the, the, the government in terms of the 501c3, as well as their uh, employers. And so we can go and we can go ask for this asset forfeiture. Uh, and, and going forward, that's exactly what's going to happen. These folks are going to have a, a case brought against them, uh, with some of them probably pleading and some of them uh, getting in a lot of trouble. Uh, but if we look at the actual uh, affidavit that's backing up, that's supporting the criminal complaint, we have some fun stuff. And I think one of the things that people are interested in is certainly the, um, the famous folks that are involved. Uh, so I just want to talk about that a little bit. We have here an affidavit in support of the criminal complaint. Again, this is linked in uh, from the CNN uh, article, uh, which I always find useful when they put the primary documents directly in the, the articles that they're putting together. Uh, and this is an uh, affidavit that supports the charges that are in that indictment. It says... I am a special agent with the Federal Bureau of Investigation assigned to the Boston, Massachusetts field office. It gives their kind of background. I make this affidavit in support of criminal complaints charging the following individuals collectively. And then it talks about the various individuals. This is where you see some of the kind of more famous folks uh, involved with this. Felicity uh, Huffman is on page 72. Uh, And it says specifically, they bribed college entrance exam administrators, they bribed varsity coaches, uh, all to get their kids in under academic standards because these schools have standards which allow for lower scores, lower kind of other quantifiable metrics for their student athletes. Uh, and I certainly think it's one of those things where the NCAA is going to wind up looking at this whole issue, and it's going to be a black mark on them. Not because their schools aren't getting defrauded, not because their schools aren't victims. They're not going to get indicted, I don't think, as part of this. Uh, But when the NCAA talks about being an organization of students that happen to be athletes, and you have such a bright, shining spotlight put on the fact that the people that they are bringing in, that they are recruiting their schools as athletes, get lower standards applied to them in order to gain access to the school. As anybody that follows NCAA sports knows, either expressly or kind of innately, just by following the sport in question, then the NCAA has to take this as a kind of public relations nightmare because people look at it and say, well, that's not something that the NCAA should be allowing. That's not something the colleges should be doing is changing their standards to have athletes in there because otherwise they aren't really necessarily amateur athletes insofar as you are changing your student body complexion in order to essentially field a football team or or field a basketball team or ironically enough in these particular cases field non-revenue teams in which uh, the actual revenue generated for the school is minimal if any uh, because you want to apply a kind of reduced standard approach across the board and The NCAA is going to wind up having to have a press conference on this or going to have a we're studying the issue type thing on this uh, because it's not a good look for the NCAA to have in a federal indictment, a federal affidavit of criminal allegations, a statement that says 
colleges are known for lowering their standards for student athletes. And so that's why it was attractive to be uh, a crew rower uh, and to apply as a crew rower to USC or to uh, Texas or to Wake Forest or to anyone else, anywhere else. Um, but because the famous uh, folks are the ones that everybody's talking about, I did want to just kind of pull out uh, from the uh, affidavit the descriptions of what happened with these famous folks. These are on page 72 and page 88, which CNN helpfully highlights here. And every single one of the folks that is kind of alleged against has this kind of brief description of what happened with them. And so we see here for Felicity Huffman, she is described as a resident of Los Angeles who has two daughters, is an actress, uh, that she purported to make a charitable contribution of $15,000 to the KWF to participate in a college entrance exam cheating scheme on behalf of her oldest daughter. And this goes on to say uh, the uh, high school counselor uh, wrote, you'll register your daughter for the December 3rd SAT. You see that this entire affidavit is about coordinating the ability for somebody at the key enterprise to be able to gain access to her daughter. So what they wound up doing was using some of the special exemptions, you saw it described in the indictment, for uh, needing additional help that they could then use the rules that the ACT or the SAT have in place to help facilitate that to move particular people into specific spots where they could get their person there to help proctor in a closed-door closed setting. And that's what happened here. They essentially used the SAT or ACT rules against them in a, in a way that allowed them to directly benefit from these bribes. And that's what Felicity Huffman did. You see also as part of these uh, allegations what the, uh, the federal government did, which is once they had their guy uh, working for them, they essentially had him call his various clients and essentially reaffirm that, that the crime had taken place so that the federal government could get on tape uh, an admission that something like this had happened. So I do recommend checking out these transcripts uh, and taking a look because you have all this language here where they say essentially, oh, yes, and remember that time that we defrauded the school? Uh, yes, and you're waiting for that yes or some kind of affirmation from the uh, alleged participant in the scheme, the, the parent. Uh, and you see this go throughout this document in a, in a very interesting way, in a way that you're probably used to if you're familiar with any kind of uh, true crime dramas or The Departed or one of those types of things, that this is really actually how these kinds of uh, cooperating witnesses work, that the, the federal government essentially asked them to go talk to uh, the parents that were on its client books and get them to admit that something bad had happened. Uh, on page 88, we see Lori Laughlin and her husband, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but I think it's Massimo Giannulli, Giannulli, which they describe here as the Giannullis, uh, and they talk about what happened here. As set forth below, the Giannullis agreed to pay bribes totaling $500,000 in exchange for having their two daughters designated as recruits to the USC crew team, despite the fact that they did not participate in crew, thereby facilitating their admission to USC. $500,000. In this affidavit, it's clear it's $250,000 per girl. Uh, but when you talk about a quarter of a million dollars, I would think, I don't have a quarter of a million dollars to throw at a problem like this, uh, but I would think that you could get some people on the phone, you could endow some chairs, you could fund some things at the school that would at the bare minimum help facilitate your child's entrance into the school without having to pay $200,000 into a black hole and wind up getting federally indicted. Uh, but that's not what happened here. Instead, they wound up spending this money uh, to get them in, and that's why they're indicted now. 
Uh, so we see here the description of events is uh, in an email on or about July 24th, 2016, CW-1, which is the founder and head of the key enterprise, uh, advised uh, Giannulli that his older daughter's academic qualifications were at or just below the low end of USC's admission standards. Thereafter, the Giannullis agreed with CW1 to use bribes to facilitate her admission to USC as a recruited crew coxswain, even though she did not row competitively or otherwise participate in crew. On or about September 7th, 2016, they exchanged uh, a photograph of the older daughter on an ergometer, which I imagine is something crew-related. Uh, Heinel then presented, that's the assistant athletic director at USC, presented the Giannulli's daughter to the USC subcommittee for athletic admissions as a purported crew recruit. At the meeting, the subcommittee approved her conditional admission to the university. Two days later, CW1 emailed Giannulli, said, please send $50,000 to Donna Heinel at the Associate Athletic Director's Office, Care of USC Athletics. I, that's pretty bold. Just send the payment directly to her work address uh, under title for her title at the school. Uh, that's not really hiding anything. So it's interesting, again, when we talk about paper trails, about whether or not this could be a, could have been discovered earlier. Uh, and then on or about November 1st, 2016, Giannulli replied, I told the business manager to FedEx today uh, that he facilitated getting that money through. And they talk and talk and talk. And they have more emails and exchange. And then... On March 23rd, 2017, USC mailed the Giannulli's daughter her formal acceptance letter. One week later, Masera sent the Giannulli's an invoice from KWF for $200,000 and wrote, Thank you for your pledge to the Key Worldwide Foundation. Your pledge is now due. Our receipt letter will go out to you upon full payment. And then Giannulli responded again, Thanks for all. We are currently on holiday in the Bahamas, but we'll gladly handle this when home next week. And then sent $200,000 to KWF. This proceeds on, and they say, do you want to do the younger daughter? And they say, yeah, we'll do the younger daughter for another quarter of a million dollars. And that's how you get to spend $500,000 to get your kids into USC. Now, they wind up having some trouble with a high school guidance counselor, uh, which adds a little drama to their lives. And I recommend, again, checking it out. But I, want, I wanted to highlight here, again, was this is October 2018. This is after uh, CW1, the head of the key enterprise, has essentially flipped and is working with the federal government. It says... CW1, acting at the direction of law enforcement agents, told Giannulli that the IRS was auditing KWF. The following is an excerpt from the call, which was consensually recorded, i.e. CW1 told them that they could record the call. Uh, here, he, he says, I'm calling because I just want to make sure you're given a heads up. My foundation is being audited. Giannulli says, okay. CW1 says, which, as you know, is normal. I get audited all the time. Again, this is law enforcement telling him to talk, talk to them about an audit because we need to get them on a recording saying that this is what happened. Giannulli says, yeah. And so CW1 says, and so they're looking at all the payments. So they, they asked me about your two payments of $200,000. Giannulli says, uh. And then CW1 says, and of course, I'm not going to say anything about your payments going to Donna Heinel at USC to get the girls into USC through crew. So... And that's where you start to get into the, the issues, right? So he repeats exactly what the allegation is going to be, what the crime might be, the bribery involved. And Giannulli says, sure, that's for sure. Then this goes on and he says, he essentially repeats it. Hey, I faked all these questions. Uh, I faked all these photographs. Giannulli says, all right, but they love it. Perfect. So I just want to make sure our stories are the same and that you say that you paid $400,000 to our foundation to help underserved kids. Perfect. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, who knows if they'll call or they don't? Perfect. Got it. 
And then they follow up with another call uh, with Lori Laughlin because they want both of them on the indictment. So they say the IRS audits foundations. Uh, Laughlin says, I see says, hey, I told Moss already, and I wanted to make sure that you knew as well if they happened to call you, is that nothing has been said about the girls. Your donations helping the girls get into USC to do crew, even though they didn't do crew. Okay, so nothing like that has ever been mentioned. If you ever, ever were to say anything, so we just have to say we made a donation to your foundation, that's it, end of story, right. And that's where they get you is essentially if you don't refute that you made a bribe to somebody, they get you on a recording and they and then you wind up saying okay and then you are arrested and you're under a federal indictment for bribing college officials. And that's really where things left off. Uh, in the same uh, indictment, they go over all of the defendants, all of the potential problems that these, these folks are going to wind up having, and it's a very similar kind of case study. It's bribes in terms of cheating on the SATs or the ACTs, and it's otherwise kind of a more direct fulfillment of placing people with essentially erroneous uh, athletic backgrounds uh, with schools that admissions committees are presumably not doing a lot of deep dives into homework here because they have somebody on staff that's supposed to be doing that, and that person has been compromised. Uh, and at that point, the school is not receiving their fair dealings from the employment contract they've entered into with that person. The ACT and the SAT aren't, re aren't receiving the dealings that they have contracted for with their employees. And when all is said and done, you've got a 501c3 out there that is collecting a lot of money and isn't paying taxes on it. And you, now you've got 50-some-odd people that are under federal indictment because of what amounts to bribery and paying money to try to get kids that don't otherwise qualify for one of these schools into their schools uh, through cheating and other extra legal means. And so that's the story. It's an interesting one because I had no idea anything like this was going on. But when you, when you really think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we've known for a long time that uh, athletic students, that students that were brought in on scholarship aren't held to the same standards as the rest of the student body. And so it's no surprise that an enterprising uh, shady racketeer would find an opportunity to make money uh, by helping kids get into college on those kinds of athletic scholarships. But that's really the crux of the issue. As silly as it might seem, there really are people that were defrauded here. And those are pretty rich institutions, the USC's of the world, the UCLA's, uh, but they didn't get what they were supposed to contractually. And the federal government has statutes to cover essentially fraud, defrauding people even under an employment contract. Uh, and they can also bring in the person that induces that fraud by bribery. And that's what all these people are facing. Uh, and it's, it's a funny story insofar as you see all these famous faces. You don't have any of that kind of violence or real big problems uh, in, the, in the streets, as it were. Uh, but it's an important one because white-collar uh, crime is an area where the—, the Department of Justice spends a lot of resources, uh, and there is a heck of a lot of money involved here, which I wouldn't have anticipated, uh, given the ability of folks to essentially endow a chair or buy a wing of a library or something along those lines. So it is eye-opening to me, as someone who has enjoyed college sports in the past, every single day it gets a little harder to enjoy them as you get more and more of these stories. Uh, but at least with this story, the actual sports enterprise itself wasn't, uh, wasn't impugned uh, as much as it was the admissions process and particularly nefarious coaches that were willing to essentially take up a slot or two of their recruiting uh, to make money on the side. Uh, and that's my thoughts. That's virtual legality for today. If you like this video, please do like it. Please subscribe to my channel. Please share it with anybody you might think is interested in this kind of thing. 
Otherwise, thank you so very much for watching, or if you're listening to this on a podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you on the next Virtual Legality.